Big moment in America today. The former president appears in court on a criminal charge. First time that's ever happened. It's Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. We'll be talking a little bit about that case. I'm Chris Quinn here with Lisa Garvin, Layla Tassi, and Laura Johnston. Layla, with Donald Trump set to appear in court today, the first former president ever to be indicted. Let's look at the proposal by Ohio's own Jim Jordan to prohibit prosecutions of former presidents in state courts. What is his reasoning and what do the experts say the chances are of this ever happened? Jordan's spokesperson isn't providing further details on what exactly he has in mind for this legislation. But Jordan has basically said Congress has an important interest in preventing politically motivated prosecutions of current and former presidents by elected state and local prosecutors, particularly those tried before elected and local trial level judges. So the bill he's envisioning could include, for example, broadening the existing statutory right of removal of certain criminal cases from state court to federal court. But reporter Sabrina Eaton spoke to a number of legal experts who said, yeah, no way. First of all, the Constitution limits the powers of Congress. Second, U.S. Supreme Court decisions in the past indicate presidents aren't above the law. And finally, he's out of his mind if he thinks a Democrat-controlled Senate and Joe Biden would ever sign off on legislation to protect Donald Trump. So Jonathan Adler from Case Western Reserve University said any law that Congress passes has to be within the powers of federal government and and cannot intrude on states' rights. He said that federal courts are supposed to have jurisdiction over two types of cases, those that arise under federal laws and some civil lawsuits where the plaintiffs and defendants live in different states. He said he's never heard of anyone trying to transfer state criminal cases to federal courts. Also, while there are protection, protections against state prosecutions of sitting presidents, because that would presumably interfere with the president's ability to do his job, that doesn't at all extend to former presidents who might be just chilling at Mar-a-Lago, right? So other, other legal experts say that the argument that this is a politically motivated prosecution is for Trump's lawyers to make in court and the prosecutors have the responsibility to prove otherwise. And uh, a, a professor out of North Carolina also made an important point. He said that it's it's an interesting that Jim Jordan, who's usually a champion of federalism and states' rights, now wants the federal government to take full control over the laws that may be applied to a president after leaving office. Clearly, he would take a different tack if he were talking about a Democratic former president. So lots of great okay. stuff in the story. I've, I've made no secret of my opinion that Jordan is a mental midget and just a terrible sycophant to Trump. There is there is a problem at the root of what he's talking about, even though, like you said, it never would happen and it wouldn't be appropriate to happen in that any because of how polarized America is and how politicized everything is and lunatics do get elected to a lot of offices. Any county prosecutor anywhere in America could bring a case against the former president just to make a name for themselves. You could have some Looney Tune Texas prosecutor charge Joe Biden when he leaves office with something to do with immigration and harm that's been done to their town. And that is chilling. That That is kind of frightening because America is electing crazy folks. We've seen it nonstop in the Ohio legislature. I mean, how many crackpots do we have down there? The stuff that they keep coming up with. Look at Serino and his education bill. It's one of the craziest things that's ever been put out there. 
So how do you deal with that? And your answer from the story, Layla, is, well, it's up to the, the defense attorneys to stop that. But is that really well, what we want well, to do with our former consider, presidents? Consider, though, that a grant, there are layers to to the criminal justice system before it ends up before a judge or jury. You have the grand jury process and and you know the after, even after that the case can be can be tossed if it has no merit but but really there's a difference between trying to prosecute a former president or a current president for policy that rubs you the wrong way and prosecuting a former president for uh, you know illegal hush money payments to a porn star who i mean there there is there are some clear violations of the law and then there's there's policy you don't like so I, I don't think that this has as much room for abuse as, as you say, because of the grand jury system. Although this case, lots of people on both sides of the political aisle are questioning the legitimacy of this case. It, he, if, if he did the hush money, it's clearly a misdemeanor. But to make it a felony, they had to do some legal gymnastics that some are questioning. This isn't like the January 6th case. I mean, he ought to be indicted yeah. for that. He ought to go to prison for it. He almost overthrew our government. It was really bad. He tried to meddle with the election in in Georgia, and that that's a prisonable offense, and that's a serious case. This one is a little questionable, which is why I think some are looking at it going, is this really how we want to treat former presidents? Because we do elect a whole bunch of really not very good people these days, and they can do stupid things. So anyway, interesting discussion. Uh, clearly... The people we talked to said, no way, never going to happen. Jordan, shut up. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Ohio is looking to have a robust tech economy with a microchip maker, Intel, investing in a plant near Columbus. But now one of the state's best known tech companies has announced it is cutting back. Laura, who is it and how deep are those cuts? This is Highland Software, which is always on our top workplaces list. And they were 12th last year. It's the only Cuyahoga company I've found that has a child care center in its offices. And so everybody's usually talking about Highland as like a great place to work. They had about 1,760 employees regionally in 2022, but they are going to lose 1,000 employees across the country. So these are, this is a huge cut. I do have to give the CEO credit for trying to explain. They put an open letter on the website that Highland's removing layers of management, adjusting team sizes, and reassigning responsibilities across departments and levels. They said they weren't expecting this kind of hurt from inflation and from the economy. This challenging economic climate currently face is prompting many organizations to pull back. So rising interest rates is also a problem and wage increases. So they tried to do a lot of cost cutting, including hiring freezes, travel restrictions, and reducing discretionary spending, but they decided they had to reorganize to face the future. I agree with you about the transparency. This is a company that is regularly among the top workplaces in Northeast Ohio, and they came out very clearly and said, inflation hit us much harder than we thought. We tried to do the cuts with other ways. It's not working. We are reorganizing. They're also giving a minimum severance, right? Three months of pay and five months of health care minimum to everybody who gets laid off. Uh, that sounds right. <laughs> yeah. So at least they were very transparent about it. It's never good news when a company cuts back. We should point out that tech mm -hmm. companies across America have been cutting and cutting and cutting. I read something this morning that the cuts in the first quarter for the tech industry of this year 
are greater than the cuts for all yeah. of last year. Wow. So it's, yeah. it's a serious trend. Yeah. And Highland uh, laid off 140 workers in January, 2021. So obviously, I mean, it, it tried. It, it, nobody wants to cut this many workers. I don't know how many they have across the country or where all the other offices are, but they're in Westlake here and they have been a big name in Northeast Ohio. So I'm sure we all probably know someone who works there be interesting to see if it falls now in the top workplaces polling well that's already set for the year we'll announce it in june but this will not be reflected (laughs) in the 2023 top workplaces you're listening to today in ohio ohio senator jd vance has proposed something that many others have failed to get done in the past declare english as the official language of the united states Why does he think that is important, Lisa? Well, uh, he introduced what he's calling the English Language Unity Act in the Democratic-controlled U.S. Senate, so its chances of passage are probably nil. But he uh, he co-sponsored it with uh, Republican Kevin Kramer of North Dakota, and he says that it's supported by an overwhelming majority of Americans, and he said there it's an inherent truth that English is the language of this country, and further pointed out that many nations, including Germany and other European nations, recognize a national language. So in this bill, it would require all government functions to be conducted in English, create a universal English language testing standard for the citizen naturalization process, and it would affect all laws, public proceedings, publications, regulations, programs, and policies, but with notable exceptions. It would not include language instruction, disability education act, and public health and safety communications, which are often done in several languages. And he pointed out that 30 states have you know, recognized English as their official state language. And Republicans for years have tried to get this to be a national standard. You know, for all the years I've heard about this, I always thought it was just some dog whistle, some easy, cheap ploy. But I read some things recently about how America used to have a fairly unified approach in certain areas that we had a unity that is gone. We're all splintered and fighting with each other. And that having a common language actually is something unifying. It's not to say people can't speak multiple languages, but that this could be a unifying force to build pride in America, which seems to be lacking, which is an interesting kind of aspect to this, not one that he's talking about, but it does make you sit back and wonder what what can unify the people of this nation in, in common right, cause. Right, right. And I honestly... Don't have because it's JD Vance, I think we're automatically suspect at his motives for introducing this, but he's not wrong. And I, and I will say that I am not in favor of hyphenated Americans like African Americans, Mexican Americans. I think after the first generation of being born in this country, you're an American. And I think that, you know, hyphenated Americans keep us divided. They want to say it's about diversity, but I don't know. I, I don't know. That's my two cents. Yeah, I that that's what I'm talking about. I've read some things lately that said that that's that is kind of splintering mm-hmm. us and that most nations have this and it was originally proposed in the early 1800s mm-hmm. I think, but it wasn't approved because all of our allies we're still mad at England because, you know, England was a terrible colonialist kind of country. And so nobody wanted to vote to make English the official language back then. Anyway, it's not going anywhere, it sounds like. But it's interesting that he's brought it back for a conversation. You're listening to Today in Ohio. 
Long COVID continues to plague millions of people, and a UH researcher is one of a bunch trying to get the federal government to do more. Layla, I'm pretty sure this story did finally publish last night. What do they want? Well, each researcher in this group of 15 leads an independent trial for the National Institutes of Health-funded research collaboration known as RECOVER. And they're working directly with patients who have long COVID, long COVID. But the pace of the research has been really slow, and they're very frustrated about this for for the p- last year and a half, the researchers have been gathering data from more than 15,000 patients, but so far, no treatments have been tested on patients. Originally, clinical trials were scheduled to begin in February, and, and they've now been pushed back until the summer. So the researchers have begun pursuing their own independent studies on top of the work that they're doing for Recover. Their independent research is getting published faster. They're testing therapies in the clinics, but they have to use their own funding. And they're missing out on the collaboration that the Recover project is supposed to create. So they're asking Congress for $37.5 million in funding to advance the work finally, of the Recover Initiative. They say this network of research centers is best positioned to create the healthcare infrastructure that we need to better care for long COVID patients. So they want the, the current Recover trial sites to become centers for excellence for long COVID, where, support, where they support patients by coordinating clinical care and rehab, focusing on patients who have been receiving inadequate quick care, and, and refine the standards of care and the best practices and share that information uh, with and and train healthcare providers. I, I this isn't part of this discussion, but I've read recently that that long COVID is much less prevalent in more recent cases. That the bulk mm. of these cases were in the early days, which is dangerous because if that number is fairly limited to whatever it is now and it's not growing, there's probably less of an emphasis on solving it. But it is a horrible, horrible. Condition it and affects people in so many different ways. Uh, the research into it that Gretchen has written about is fascinating, but they do need to keep at it. These people are not getting. Better. Do we know if long COVID ever clears the body? I mean, does do these symptoms eventually subside? Does the body heal at all from from the trauma of COVID? Have you read anything on that? I don't know if some. I don't know if some people are, but I know there are plenty of people who have not. Oh. Uh, that they they once they get it, they're plagued by it. Whether it's the mental stuff, the fatigue, I and mean, it hits you in a bunch of different ways. Look, there's there's a lot to be gained by figuring this out because it will apply to future viruses, and it may apply to current viruses. So, good story by Gretchen. Check it out. It's on Cleveland.com. I, it did publish, right, Laura? It did. I read it. <laughs> okay. Yes, last night, seven o'clock. <laughs> You're listening to Today in Ohio. Let's talk about the Trump case a little bit more to key Ohio Republicans that we've been talking about. J.D. Vance and Mr. Jordan are certain to be among the most vocal defenders of the former president in his criminal case. How have they started the defense, Laura? Well, you know that Jim Jordan and J.D. Vance have built these national profiles in part over their connection to Trump. I think you could argue that Vance won the Senate primary because of his endorsement from Donald Trump. But so... They've denounced this prosecution as politically motivated, and Vance said in a statement 
shortly after the indictment was announced that most Americans will see through it. He says the radical left continues their obsession with harassing Donald Trump. And the American people are suffering. So he's trying to redirect the conversation. Families are struggling to put food on the table. Violent crime is running rampant in our cities and thousands have been poisoned by fentanyl pouring across our southern border. What's interesting is that Vance represents the entire state of Ohio, and that's the cities included and Democrats included, whereas Jim Jordan has this very gerrymandered district that he can basically say whatever he wants and he's going to get reelected. So it's funny that they are so vehement. We don't even know the details of the charges. We were were still discussing right before this podcast started of what's going to happen today because no no one knows exactly how it's going to go down. But this University of Cincinnati professor said Republicans may be jumping to conclusions before the evidence has been made, but that's one of the beauties of being in the modern Republican Party. It's not about le- logic. It's not about evidence. So, um, I mean, they have nothing, Jordan especially has nothing to lose in his district with going full in on calling this a conspiracy. But, but look, one's a U.S. senator, one is in the House of Representatives. They are elected to America's top bodies and they're attacking the criminal justice system without even knowing what it's about. That's not what you want from your elected leaders. They're supposed to be supportive of government. Once the case is laid out, if they want to criticize what they see as flaws in it, but they don't even know what it is. And, think- and they're already saying it's a big conspiracy, yada, yada, yada. It's very irresponsible. And it's part of the reason Americans don't trust their government. When elected leaders are the ones knocking the pillars out from underneath it, of course, the the support for government fails. But I think this point about Jordan is really interesting that he, I mean, we've talked numerous times about his weaponization of whatever committee, right? Like all of the investigations he's trying to launch to make a name for himself. He is not there to govern. He's not there to put forth serious, thoughtful legislation. He is there to cause a ruckus. And I think that's the lane that he's staying in. Um, Who's not saying anything is Sherrod Brown, which is really interesting, right? There's no upside to getting out and, and and, and angering half of his constituents by saying anything about the the prosecution at this point. Uh, Marcy Kaptur and Amelia Sykes also hadn't made public statements. So anyone who's in a little bit more of a purple district is is staying mum for right now. Okay. I'm listening to Today in Ohio. Yesterday, we talked about the Justice Department suing Norfolk Southern. Today, we're talking about the latest work by Ohio Senators, again, J.D. Vance and Sherrod Brown on the East Palestine train derailment. Lisa, what do they propose now? Brown and Vance have joined their uh, pub, uh, Pennsylvania colleagues, Bob Casey and John Fetterman, in a Monday letter to the National Institutes of Health acting director and the head of the NIH Institute of Environmental Health Services. They're asking for a study on the health effects of the February uh, train derailment in East Palestine. They want to be kept updated on response efforts and evaluate the best way to engage all the affected residents and use that feedback as a scientific basis to understand the short and long-term health effects of the derailment. Uh, East Palestine resident Misty Allison, she testified before the Senate Commerce, Science, and Transportation Committee recently. She said that the government has been telling us that it was safe to come home, but is it safe? The EPA says the data is fine, but independent researchers say otherwise. She's like, who do we trust? So having, you know, scientific data and long-term studies and monitoring should help mollify some of these concerns. 
It's been nonstop. Yeah. These guys have put out new statements about every other day. They're going after every agency, which is great for the people of East Palestine. But they are establishing a precedent here for any time there's any kind of spill in any place in Ohio. People are going to point to this and say, hey, where do we, when do we get ours? I mean, this is an overwhelming response that that is coming from our senators and our state and everybody else. Well, and I so. thought Allison's testimony was telling because these are people who welcomed Trump with open arms when he came to visit them after the derailment with signs and everything. And he's taught them not to trust government. So here, you know, they may get good data, but are they going to believe it? I think that's the bigger yeah, issue well. here. Yeah, that's a good point. Doesn't matter what the government says, unless they say it's bad. Right. They're going to question it, and they'll have people that, that support that with conspiracy theories. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Layla, why is Cuyahoga County considering moving its substantial bank accounts out of Key Bank? So these were the findings of a, of a home mortgage lending study by consultant Frank Ford, who presented his report to County Council's Reinvestment Advisory Subcommittee this week. He, he compared numbers for seven local banks between 2016 and 2021, and he found that KeyBank gave fewer total home loans than others. They drastically reduced their home improvement and small dollar lending program, and, and they gave fewer loans to black borrowers than Bank of America, Fifth Third Bank, and Huntington Bank. Now, Ford said they're not the worst or the best lender in the county, but he questioned whether the county finds that acceptable of their bank. I mean, KeyBank had promised it would do better when it took a contract worth up to $3.2 million to provide banking and treasury services for the county until 2024. But they've been developing kind of a bad bad reputation. I mean, the National Community Reinvestment Coalition, which is a fair lending advocacy group, they cut ties with KeyBank last year after a similar study showed that the bank was failing to live up to their promises to be a better lender in marginalized communities. And Frank Ford said the county should have expected more, and members of the subcommittee seem to agree. I don't get why KeyBank's doing this. It's headquartered here. This is its home. You would think that they would bend over backwards to support their home and not get into this kind of embarrassing situation. Yeah, now they're a they, target. They, they defended themselves in a statement yesterday. They said that uh, you know they're aware of the work that still needs to be done, but they're overall pretty pleased with their progress. They highlighted a couple programs that they feel will increase uh, lending soon. I mean, it's it's so I don't know. They disagreed with any characterization that they haven't improved their mortgage lending in underserved areas of the county. But Caitlin's story lays out the highlights of the report, and frankly, I mean, they don't look good. The disparities are really stunning, and and KeyBank isn't responsible for all of them. Of course, there are others, but but they are the bank that enjoys this contract with the county. Well, and they can put out all the statements they want, but if the county council says we're not buying it, the numbers and the numbers we're going to withdraw. They're going to lose the account, and I'm not sure the PR battle is the way to wage this. Then they might want to be making a stronger case with the council and providing right. some evidence that. You know, they're claiming they're pretty pleased with where they are. Well, others are not. So there's a disconnect here. Interesting. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Laura, why is today a good day for any Ohio driver who's ever been behind someone who is texting at a stoplight when it turns green? Hooray, hooray. Because distracted driving becomes a primary offense today. You can get pulled over for being on your phone. Now, 
whether you can call the police station from your phone, your car next to it and report somebody's distracted driving, that's an interesting question. But there are a bunch of exceptions in this rule. So no, you can't use your cell phone while you're driving except for emergency calls. Using the phone while stopped at the shoulder or at a traffic control di- device like a stoplight, which is, I think, when people get super annoyed, right? When the people don't mm, go. Yes. yes. Them. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, you can use GPS as long as you don't type into the phone or hold it up with any part of your body. I'm not sure why that's in there. You can use a single swipe feature like changing a song. Um, and you can actually talk on your phone as long as you're holding it up to your ear. Just don't hold it up to another body part. So there's a whole lot of exceptions. And for now, there's a six-month grace period where you only get written warnings instead of $150 fines. But it is, in effect, starting today. And this is a big deal because there are a lot of crashes. Um, Ohio State Highway Patrol says distracted driving caused at least 60,000 crashes and 209 deaths in Ohio over the past five years. So that's something to be take, to take seriously. Well, and it's changed high-speed driving on any highway. The people that are talking on their phones and doing that, mm-hmm. they're veering all over their lane. It's it's a frightening. Con- you always know when somebody's doing that. They're either driving ridiculously slowly because they're not paying attention or they're veering everywhere. I was on 480 last week, and there was a woman who, in one hand, she had her phone in front of her face. In her other hand, she had a big sandwich, and she was steering with her arms wrapped around oh the steering God. wheel with both hands full. <laughs> it's like, you're dead if there's any kind of incident, and that just, you shouldn't do it. You're driving at 60, 70 miles an hour. It's crazy. I'm, I'm grateful for this. I hope the police take full advantage and pull people over we're going to be looking today has anybody been pulled over for this even though they don't get the the fine just yet you're listening to today in ohio how many recent incidents do police know about in which carjackers are impersonating police officers to get access to cars they want to steal? Lisa, this is a terrifying development in the carjacking yeah, trend. Yeah, it really is. And starting March 7th, there's been a rash of at least five incidents in Cleveland. Um, these robbers, what they're doing is they're, they've gotten like those red and blue bar lights and have put them on cars and then they're pulling people over. And when they do, they point, put a gun in their face and rob them and, and then move on. So the first incident was March 7th on Ohio 2 at West 45th Street. Uh, somebody was pulled over by four men in a Honda Accord and was robbed. And then there was a big rash. The lead, the most recent one was on Sunday at 6.20 p.m. at Broadway and Blanche, where a Dodge Durango, some guy actually thought something was wrong. The motorist did. So he called the police and said, hey, there's a Dodge Durango trying to pull me over. He drove to the 3rd District Police Station on Chester, and then the suspects drove off as he pulled into the police station. And so there were others. There was one at West 48th Street. Uh, they were pulled over by a Kia, Kia Sportage. So they're all different cars, not even cars that even look like cop cars. There was one Friday at 11 in the 3200 block of West 65th Street. They were pulled over by a Volkswagen SUV with four suspects inside. And then there was one at East 152nd and Lakeshore right in the middle of the afternoon. So what police are saying now is that if you are suspicious about somebody trying to pull you over, call the police you know, say, hey, do you, you know, talk to the dispatchers, you know, is somebody trying to pull me over that's legit? So, yeah, be careful out there. 
That's the advice is if you've got somebody trying to pull you over, pull out your phone. Isn't that distracted driving? Right. And then you think, too, that, you know, people are afraid to run from the police. I mean, you know, because things go bad sometimes when you run from the police. So, you know, yeah, this is kind of a interesting situation. But, yeah, just be careful if, the, if it doesn't look like a cop car, if they don't look like cops. Although a couple of the suspects actually had ballistic vests, so they were trying to look official. They got to catch these guys because this is this is a dangerous and frightening situation, and the police are learning to it. They're spreading the word about it so people are aware. But it, it's happening at all hours, so it's not just people who are driving at night. Scary stuff. It's today in Ohio that closes it down for Tuesday. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Layla. Thanks, Laura. Thanks to everybody who listens to this podcast. We'll be back on Wednesday.